Welcome, O Fellowship of Fiends, to Fear is the Fire That Lights the Heart, a humble podcast where we delve into the darkness that dwells beyond the edges of genre. Each episode, we're going to gather up a roundtable of writers, editors, and publishers to discuss the most beloved of all genres, horror. Today, we discuss that violent transformation of story, crawling out of the chrysalis of our skin, body horror. Be it vile, violent, transcendent, or terrifying, we are here to dig around in the guts and pull out the intestines of truth we discover. I'm your host, Paul Jessup, author of the book Glass House, a cosmic horror haunted house novel, and the upcoming short story collection, The Skinless Man Counts to Five. Check it out at pauljessup.com. Joining us in our second episode are some of the best writers, editors working in the horror genre today. Please, everyone, introduce yourselves. Uh, hello, Paul. It's lovely to be here. I'm C.B. Blanchard, a novelist and short story writer. You may have read my short story, Mycophilia. Um, that's he, they, or Ziza. And um, I'm gay cannibalism on Blue Sky. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Nico Bell. I am a horror and sci-fi author and editor. I have been very fortunate um, to have some indie books published. I have Food Fright that out and um, Beyond the Creek. And my new book, Open House, came out earlier this year. I have a sci-fi horror, grief horror book coming out in March 6, 2024, called Static Screams. And I love body horror. A lot of my short stories that I've been lucky enough to be published um, have a lot of body horror in them. So I'm just really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, I'm Sunny. It's great to be here, everybody. Um, I am a kind of cross-genre writer. I've done science fiction and fantasy. Um, I've pivoted pretty hard to dark stuff in recent years, although I've always done kind of dark fiction, I guess. Uh, I have a uh, novella. People keep calling it a novel. It's just a long novella uh, coming out in the beginning of February from Tor Nightfire called Your Shadow Half Remains. And uh, yeah, I'm super stoked about that. And I would say there are some elements of body horror in it, although we'll talk of probably about the conflicting understandings of that term. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Actually, that's a good place to start then. Um, why don't we each give like our own understanding of what body horror means? Uh, because yeah, it, it just runs the gamut completely. Um, oh. oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Well, for me, it's not enough for something bad to be happening to someone's body, for it to be body horror. Because if that was the case, then every slasher film would be body horror. And while some slasher films are body horror, not all slasher films are body horror. For me, there has to be an element of transformation, um, an element of change, whether it's desired or not. Um, and I would say the body, a, a theme of the body being an enemy in some way, mm. <clears throat> whether it's prior to the transformation or after the transformation, the body should be, the body is an enemy. The body is an antagonist, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Mine is very similar um, I always considered body horror to be uh, the physical transformation, transformation probably being the key word, whether it's willing or not willing, the body has to 
alter in a way, not necessarily just get like stabbed, like you were saying, um, you know, in, in the final girl type of trope. Uh, but although when I was looking into this a little bit more, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, there were some meta metaphorical body horror definitions or like um, emotional body horror, like body horror taking place more transcendently as opposed to physically. But I've always really focused on the physical transformation and using it in my writing more for to make a to make a stance to to say something important about autonomy or um, about what's going on environmentally, something along those lines to like make a point is really how I've viewed it in the past. Yeah, I'm I'm really similar. Um, I, I, I follow one of the reasons why I uh, you got in touch with me about this is that we've both been ranting on Blue Sky a bit about <laughs> how some people understand body horror and kind of like the hostile torture porn type way where just terrible things are happening to the body and I really disagree with that I yeah like 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 everybody else here I think it's 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 really more about transformation for me for me it's it's also um CB I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the idea of the body being the enemy because I I take I take a slightly different approach in my own stuff I find I, I find myself very much in kind of the David Cronenberg lane mm. yeah uh where the body can be a kind of antagonist and what's happening to it might be non-consensual or might be not desired. But also I'm very into the idea of the source of the horror actually being about transgression in the sense that the way that the person feels about what's happening to them might in and of itself be horrifying, not to them, but to the reader. So I just finished writing a draft of a novel where, um, where they're the body of my protagonist is absolutely changing in ways that people would probably the average person would consider horrific but he's into it like he's oh. fine he's he's really finding it something exciting and like explicitly erotic and that element of the kind of of transcending disliking it and hating it and actually finding it a source of liberation and eroticism uh is, is a space i'm finding myself wanting to play in more and more yeah that's um that's a good point actually um i often come at it from an explicitly um trans point of view um which is that the transformation itself may be desirable um but as you say, transgressive, horrifying to outsiders, mm -hmm. but wonderful to the person experiencing it. But that I think that trans point of view is where my idea of the body as enemy comes from. Because, um, mm. um, well, going through the wrong puberty is a pretty horrific <laughs> experience. Yeah. Um, a pretty nightmarish one where your body does become your enemy. Uh, consistently doing things to you against your will that feel horribly wrong um and then the thing that seems transgressive to a broader society to a transphobic society that seems like body horror to them is actually the liberational aspect is actually the good thing yeah i think that's something horror itself does really well is the idea of transgression leading to liberation and that which is an idea in itself that is transgressive <laughs> Uh, against how we normally see things but i love that when horror does that i myself um 
see the body as an enemy. And I come from that in a, a chronic illness sort of way because I have multiple sclerosis and diabetes. So to me, like body horror that deals with like the body itself being the enemy is very like, it, it speaks to me on like a very guttural level. Um, it's weird because a lot of people said that some of the stuff in uh, Glass House was body horror and I didn't really see it. I mean, I guess I kind of see it with some of the the creatures in it were very Hellraiser inspired, like the the deities, but um, the like I didn't see it in that kind of way, like as in the body with the enemy or the transformation. I mean, that's that's what's key to me, too. Um, maybe I just really find the fly <laughs> appealing or like the thing, uh, because those are also about like body horror as transformation. But yeah, real quick. Cool. Oh, sorry, sorry, Paul. Oh, I was going to say the idea of that it can be liberating is just such an interesting way of going about it too. Yeah, like I, I have to also really agree with the chronic illness perspective. I have a really fun endocrine disorder and a really fun autoimmune disease. And yeah, like my experience of my own body is definitely antagonistic. So, but it's also pleasurable. So that, you know, yeah. being an embodied consciousness is a fraught experience at the best of times. And that <laughs> tension between, you know, the pleasure of existing in the world and also the difficulties that go along with that are that I think that there's some cool stuff in that spot of tension too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was actually just thinking the other day, like what a strange thing it is to be in a body, you know, <laughs> exist in this world in a body. Like, cause like we're constantly. I don't know how this thing, I don't know how this thing works. What is it even doing? <laughs> exactly. And it's, especially when the body rebels against you as you're going about your day. I mean, cause most of the time, you know, most people don't even think about their body, you know, they're just like minds moving about this world coming with sensations every once in a while, but they don't really actually think about their body much. But when you are like in a position where you have to all the time, it's, it's a completely different experience, I think. Yeah. To be in pain all the time, whether that be psychic pain or physical pain puts you in an entirely different relationship you're aware of your body in a different way yeah yeah um nico what do you think yeah i'm kind of sitting here like reflecting on what y'all are saying because when i think of body horror typically i would think of like you had mentioned the fly like something where you transform into what an audience would find grotesque or undesirable but i do believe that we've seen a shift lately in horror where it's becoming body horrors turning into something beautiful or mm-hmm. something um, transformative in a really positive way. You know, one of the th- books that I read recently was Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. And I really resonated with that character quite a bit. You know, the stay at home. Well, yeah, I believe she was stay at home. Yeah. The stay at home mom who's really struggling um, with this new position in life and feeling like she has a place in a world that's very much not perhaps supportive of her choices and she's transforming physically transforming um and it's something very gnarly and weird and horrific but also so so lovely you know and and so so beautiful at the end and haunting and i love to see more of those stories because i feel like with body horror specifically it's so horror in the negative way it's so like someone transforms and becomes the villain because they can't handle the transformations that have happened to them or something along those lines, Mm -hmm. or it's so Mm -hmm. villainous. And it's so refreshing that 
with a lot of like feminist horror or trans horror and things like that, we're starting to see a shift into something much more beautiful and something much more um, just just a lovely way to think of our bodies in general, you know, that they're not the enemy. And so I think we have a long way to go on that avenue, but I, I do see a shift towards it. And I'm very excited to read more about that and to see how that, you know, manifests in the next handful of years with new writers coming to the surface. It'll be interesting. Yeah, if, if I can, if I can uh, just drag this back to actually to chronic illness for a second, I, I love, I love the, I, I love the idea of taking this heart of, of taking the element of horror here and almost twisting it in a positive is too simple a word, yeah, but a, a less inherently negative direction. I, I personally feel kind of like the notion that if your body is transforming in this, you know, monstrous way that that means that it's no longer worth living in, that it's no longer, it's no longer something that you should want to inhabit. I think there's something inherently kind of ableist about that, honestly. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think that that's how a lot of people would explicitly think about it, but I do think it's playing on this notion that if the body is unrecognizable or monstrous or transgressive or just really different, that there, your, your life is therefore, there's no point in trying to figure out how to live in that body. And, I'm excited about the notion that you you may there may be really serious difficulties about this new kind of embodied existence. I, I being chronically ill fucking sucks. I don't love <laughs> it. Don't love it for me. Don't love it for anybody. But I it would never say that like the alternative is better. I I still really like being alive and being in the body that I've got. And there are even things about the experience of chronic illness that I find valuable or interesting or enriching to the work that I do. And so, yeah, I, I think, I think ambivalence, capturing ambivalence, I think is, is something interesting that horror can, can really speak yeah. to in a way that not many other genres can. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And going back to that idea too of like, you know, some of the some people like, and it is ableist, they they think like, oh, if I was disabled like that, I would just kill myself. I mean, mm -hmm. I've heard people say that like when they found out I had MS, they're like, oh, you you're so brave and strong because I would have just killed myself. And like, oh, God. No, you people wouldn't. Have, have. Oh people my have God. said that to my face. Um yeah. people but have said that directly to my face, and it's like, well, I haven't. And you so, thanks. <laughs> but it, also, too, it really bothers me when you have this idea of people being in charge of when somebody should be put out of their misery, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, oh, how's their quality of life doing? Should we just, you know, take them off the machines or whatever? And I'm like, that's not up to an outsider to to say because a quality of life that that just it just bothers me so much. It's like, that's what about a quality of life is experienced almost entirely internally? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I think, like, okay. in a way, too, like, um, being chronically ill has improved my quality of life in a way, because now I'm much calmer about everything else in the world, because I keep thinking, well, it's not as bad as MS, <laughs> you know, sure. it's like, it's like, this is not the end of the world. I'm just much calmer about things. There's like, and there's actually the weird part is there's actually pleasurable sensations that come with it, because like, it does mess with your neurological functions, but it also, like, sometimes tickles the pleasure centers, you know, or you get like these feelings like, um, like a, a tingling sensation that's pleasurable. And it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I tend to sometimes look at it from an outside perspective, like going, huh, isn't this really interesting? My body is doing these things. 
and other people that must think I'm insane. But it's that's just how I I come to terms with it, I guess you could say. You know, that I, I look at it from a very an interesting, like this is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It's not quite the the horror to me is like, you know, will I accidentally hurt myself? Or, you know, what what is this medication going to do to me? Like the me- the actual illness itself is less of a horror and more of a this is interesting that it's happening to me. <laughs> That's why it's so interesting, like sort of how we're framing body horror and like now and into the future, hopefully. And this kind of is a tangent, I think, on something you had said, Sunny. Um, but the idea of like how we've changed physically and the look of it. And I would love to see more body horror in the future where it's desirable or, you know, because when we do body horror now, it's usually turning somebody into a monster, somebody who's not desirable, um, physically desirable. And I, I would love to read more body horror where, you know, it's it's beautiful to somebody, where they're in a relationship, you know, where it's valued and and loved and, you know, beloved and things. So I, I think that's an aspect of it as well, like, you know, as body positivity and fat positivity and all of that kind of gets more mainstream, we can see that everybody has value, everybody is attractive and beautiful, you know. And so to put that into body horror as well would be, it'd be great to have a love story. Well, I guess there are plenty of love stories. (laughs) I just read the one where the woman turns to water. I didn't, I didn't love the book. What what is it? Like the sisters of the- All wives, all wives under the sea. Yes, that one. I did love the book. Um, I'm glad other people loved it. It just didn't work for me. But the idea of somebody turning into, you know, in a relationship, turning into something and then, you know, still finding that beautiful and desirable. That's a really important message. What I- what frustrates me so much sometimes about how we perceive bodies in general and then in horror, we turn them into monsters or something grotesque is that, you know, young people read this and internalize it. Mm. So if they see a monster, you know, I'm, I'm a fat person. So I grew up where fat was a villain. Every villain is fat, you know? So you see that and you think being fat is bad. It's villainous. So if you see a monster who has a, a, you know, a hunchback or has like, fingers that are perhaps like you know that look like rheumatoid arthritis type fingers you see that a lot in like horror you know where bodies are bent in different angles and you're young and you read that and internalize that then all of a sudden bodies that are not like we were saying with ableism like bodies that are not this that fit into this box are not desirable respectable you don't want them they're not lovable all of that like it I don't see that you see that a lot with limb difference and facial difference so people with Mm -hmm especially facial differences people with uh, conditions or injuries that have significantly changed their face um and i think partly as a side effect of how the face is how we interact with each other by necessity as as a species um we're very very prone to be horrified by and to villainize a facial difference mm-hmm. even just regular quote-unquote ugliness will get the treatment let alone something more dramatic or noticeable um that's that's one of the reasons why i really dislike a lot of horror movies especially hollywood ones because like the monster basically like look it's just ugly that's Mm -hmm. basically it and why i really like what guillermo del toro did with like um is one recent one where the woman falls in love with the merman. Oh, Shape of Water. Shape of Water. Yeah. I couldn't remember. Um, but also, have, have any of you guys seen Guillermo Tomorrow? Guillermo Tomorrow offering the monster fuckers their, their food. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, have, have any of you guys seen the movie Spring? 
No. Oh, it's on my, I love the two guys who made it. So it's on my to yeah, watch. Benson and Moorhead, yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, it's, it's basically, um, so, you know, the, uh, before trilogy, it's like before sunrise, before sunset, where it's like just this one couple talking and going through like Paris, that kind of thing. Um, no, you haven't seen that. Okay. <laughs> Silence. Uh, yeah, it's, okay. It's, it's, it's like, it's an art film. Um, but it's basically exactly like that, but horror. It's it's like this this horror romance where like, you know, he falls in love with this woman who's like basically turns out to be monstrous, you know, and eats her mates and stuff. And then the okay. end, they're just okay with it. They're just like, okay, sure, that's great. Fine, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah, um, and it, it works. I think it, there's several romantic and for lack of a better word, positive short stories in the anthology Bound in Flesh, edited by Law Gislason. Full uh, disclosure, Law is a friend of mine and a member of one of my writing discords, so I am a little biased here. Um, but Bound in Flesh is a collection of trans body horror stories, and many of the people writing in them are also disabled, fat, otherwise marginalized in society and the approach to body horror in there varies from everything between the horror of being forcibly assigned into a body you do not want all the way through to absolute full glorious a glorious abandonment into um into the transgressive and the monstrous and the yes this is wonderful this is what i want this is this is, and you will love me just as this is mm. um one of the stories in there and i can't remember the title right now just takes the would you still love me if i was a worm thing to a really <laughs> really horrible <laughs> and horrible and nauseating place and i love it <laughs> it makes me think of um that one uh short story love is the plan and the plan is death which is I... yeah that's a, I don't think I've read that one. I'll check it out. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the, the name of the writer. Um, it's I'm, I almost can think of it because I know I know the title, and, and I know I flagged the title as being an amazing title. So yeah, it's one of, the, oh, one of my favorite it? titles. Um, yeah, but I, what was it was um, what was his name? Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, and I'm I'm not going to remember it now off the top of my head. Also did the screw fly screw fly solution and. Uh, all those other ones. The love is the plan. The plan is death is brilliant. It's also it's basically like yeah, somebody devouring their love, and it's like this weird insect love thing, body horror. It's just wonderful. The writing is just touch. oh, it's tip tree. It's a tip tree story. Tip, that's right, tip tree. Yeah. Oh well, you can't go wrong with tip tree. Absolutely yeah, I, not. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, my name. I'm bad with names, so. Me too. Well, that's okay. I never remember anything ever. Um. Yeah. I remember the screw fly solution, the other book that he did, but you know, of course. Um, I, 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 sorry, uh, look, just, I just want to jump in here because this is actually the, the idea of, of a monstrous body being lovable and desirable. This is actually making me think of something else I've been thinking about a lot as mm -hmm. I've been sort of trying to figure out what kind of stuff I want to be writing right now. Mm -hmm. And one of the thing I think a lot of people would look at horror and think of it as kind of a nihilistic, like in a in a negative way, nihilistic genre or a really like cruel genre or one that's very misanthropic. And I think that can be true. But actually, increasingly, one of the things I love about horror is that I think that it can be humane 
in a way that other genres don't honestly make mm. as much space for precisely because it can present the monstrous as valuable and love the other as valuable and lovable and worthy and some of my favorite stories are simultaneously brutal and bleak and also deeply humane paul tremblay is one of the authors who i think oh, does man. that fantastically and i love his stuff because I read it and, you know, it might be, I might come out of it feeling kind of like shit, like it, it, you know, it, it might be the most brutal ending. I'm thinking of Cabin, you know, the end of the world, but also there is just this deep love of humanity and this deep, like book starting from a place that humans are intrinsically valuable and that every human being is intrinsically valuable in some way, even terrible people. And I just, that's kind of where I know as a writer, I want to be working from and i feel like there are a lot of horror authors out there right now who are working from that place too and that's just really good to see because i think right now in in increase what feels like an increasingly dehumanized world we need humane fiction uh more than ever yeah something i've described it as in my own work is i guess furious enraged compassion mm. <laughs> Um, an acknowledgement that for a great number of people, perhaps even a majority of people in the current climate, things are often terrible, miserable, horrible. But that doesn't mean that those experiences aren't aren't valuable. That doesn't mean that those experiences aren't worth discussing. It doesn't mean that those experiences aren't worth making art out of. It doesn't mean that those people, even if they are kind of terrible, because people who are traumatized and miserable are often terrible because you're not at your best self when you're constantly miserable um, um, are still worth the time because they are there. They exist. They have experiences. Um, in my Cophilia, in my short story, my Cophilia published by Seize the Press. I forgot to mention that <laughs> earlier. Eligible for all major awards. Check it out. Um, um, my joking comment my joking description of it is haha poverty and isolation so isolation are the real horrors um <laughs> ultimately i thought uh, but it's fundamentally about a man who has been pushed to the side of society due pushed to the side of society to the point he becomes obsessive over someone else who turns out to be and who turns out to be literally destructive to him and I think that's an experience a lot of people have and I think horror is a way you can look at that in a way that isn't in a way that because it's a little bit more metaphorical maybe reaches more people mm -hmm. rather than just telling a straightforward story of loneliness leading you to a toxic relationship you you create this and and some people have said mycophilia is body horror going back to something some i think paul said and again i didn't really see the ending of mycophilia as body horror even though it's described as very in very body horror terms i saw it as bittersweet almost hopeful somebody dissolving themselves into something like love and community that they have been denied until now uh, uh, okay, I'll spoiler it. He has sex with a mold monster, and the mold monster eats him. It, it, Aww. it's that kind of thing. It, it, 
it's a loving consumption. It's <laughs> a loving consumption. Two very lonely people and joining in with a mycelium network in a sort of having being dissolved from the inside out by mold um, kind of way. And the people who like it have said that that's what got them about it, that um, that dissolution. And I think body horror is a great avenue for that because you're no longer trapped by the physical conf reality of flesh and bone. You can make it you can make it into something else. You can literally absorb into your lover. You can you can become a flesh creature that covers half the world. You can you can become a very strange, gross worm in a sex club. You can um, you can do all of that because the because the body. Now I've forgotten what I was saying. Um, <laughs> no, I get it because you're talking about the empathy. You know, the yeah. horror can do empathy in that way, in a symbolic way that may get to people more than like if it was just a straight up, you know, a realistic narrative story. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can you yeah. can talk about those very maybe very difficult, messy desires and needs that are hard to express in other ways. Yeah. I was thinking also when we're talking about like empathy towards like things like that and and giving people that kind of feeling uh, with horror. I was thinking of the works of David Lynch. Um, mm, I was just yeah. thinking earlier today, like one of the things like Twin Peaks does really well is that you empathize with the victims, which never happens in like any of those police procedural shows. Right. And the first thing we see with Laura Palmer is like the cop crying at the sight of her body. You know, you don't get that. Um, or like the mother screaming when her child gets hit by the car in season three. Um, oh yeah, spoiler, sorry. Um, <laughs> also, going back to body horror, though, we have The Elephant Man, which if it was done by anybody else, it would have been a completely different kind of movie. But the whole movie is all about empathizing with him and his plight and what he's going through and why he's like being shown as like this freak show and everything else. And it's just done in such a beautiful and moving way. I don't think anyone else could have done it. Mm. In a similar vein, the very old movie Freaks is mm. having a little bit of a critical rethinking at the moment, because yes, it was a it's clearly originally a bit of a shock film. It's clearly a, it is a literally a follow on from the freak show tradition, but the freaks are presented as a community. They're presented as. <laughs> They're presented as real and humane and caring towards each other in a way that the more traditionally traditional looking people are not. Um, I think horror, even in the most conservative reactionary horror, I think we are encouraged to at the very least pity and understand the monstrous to see where they are coming from, even if we're also supposed to be scared of it. Yeah, I think like Frankenstein is, a, is, is for some reason, I've been thinking about Frankenstein a lot recently. I think that's a great example of that, especially since, you know, in the actual, in, in the films, Frankenstein is not particular, the, the monster is not particularly articulate. But in the actual Shelley book, the monster becomes extremely articulate and speaks for himself and expresses his rage with his creator and is an enormously sympathetic. And 
literally giving the monster a voice is I mean, it's in, in its in its way for a book so old at this point, it is really kind of radical. And it's it's it is it is baked into horror's DNA in a really deep way. Yeah. You know, a book that I loved that I think it came out this year was Mayfly. And maybe that could be body horror, depending on how you define it, because it is very horrific. But that does such an incredible job of sympathizing with a villain that we should all objectively hate. We should objectively not feel anything towards this woman villain. But She's it's so broken and sad. I know. It's so <laughs> like I wanted desperately for her to have a happy ending because I felt so connected to her. And I was reading this like, I should not feel this toward her. Objectively, this woman is a monster. And the things that she's doing to other people's bodies are horrific. But man, was it written in such an incredible way where, you know, you can't help but feel connected. This is another, this is a tangent, but this is why I'm not like, this is why when I watch creature feature movies, I'm always shouting at the screen because I always empathize with the creature because I'm always like, the humans came in and disrupted the creature's world. And yet the creature is the villain that needs to be killed and the humans are the victims. Like I never buy it. It always bothers me to no end. That's just my little tangent, but, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that horror horror doesn't have a lot of like rules or boundaries. I feel like that other genres do so we can explore things and take them in all sorts of different directions and create empathy where maybe others would not create empathy. That's why I really love this genre um why i'm yeah so excited to be a part of it yeah me too i was actually just thinking like right now we're like a really great part like a real point in time in horror uh because we're talking like earlier about like there's like a reactionary conservative vein of horror and there is and it's been there for god knows how long but i think right now we're at a point where that is the minority voice when it comes to the writers and the people Mm. who read it and the people who watch it and the people making the movies i mean even shutter has like just entire shows that are celebrating queer horror things like that i think it's wonderful it's, it's i really a- like i like the, i really like the boule brothers drag show yeah that's fun it's a lot of fun um but not just with that though. i mean like there's just it just seems to be like it's a, a point of where like it's just reaching this boiling point where you know that's what is becoming mainstream and horror at least at the time I think oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, I think ultimately right. you can't socially monster entire subsets of people for decades or centuries and not have that come out in media mm-hmm. eventually. And horror is so oh, I was reading it came from the closet recently um which is a book of essays about queer horror, queerness in horror. Um and one thing that becomes very apparent quickly when you're reading that book is that people who are outcast for whatever reason find themselves drawn to frequently find themselves drawn to darker media, to horror, to dark fantasy, to anything where they are anything where they feel recognized, where they feel seen, where they feel like they are acknowledged in some way. And so you inevitably you get this reaction that I think is what we're get, getting now, which is you've got the result of 
50 odd years, 50, 60 odd years of queer people, disabled people, um, all having only seen themselves in horror and going, you know what, this is mine now. This is mine. I get to do this now. <laughs> Which is wonderful. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I love it. it <laughs> and it, I just hope Clyde Barker really is seeing what's going on now. <laughs> and he, Billy he Martin and Billy Martin, who wrote yeah, his Poppy Z yeah. Bright, um, without whom I don't think I would be the person I am, let alone the writer I am. And, um, and he still does write his Poppy Z Bright. I heard that uh, that's his pen name now. Yes, it is his pen name now. Um, Which is I think, wonderful. Yes. Um, yeah, I hope Clive knows what he's done for us all. Um, yes. Well, I just I know he had a really rough time in the 80s. I was reading an interview with him recently, and it was just it was just really hard for him because being one of the very few out gay men of horror at that point in time and the time when it was very conservative, you know, and it just I hope he sees what's going on now and he feels like, you know what I mean, proud of mm. like what he helped contribute, but also just, you know, excited to see like his own genre coming into this. I also think that there's something kind of cool going on with just with with representation and in particular with this and, and in particular what I guess I would identify as a bit of a reactionary strain on the left in fact in terms of representation which is understandable but I think that there is kind of a strain of thought of people of various marginalized identities have been denied their own stories in media for so long that when we finally get a chance to tell our own stories, well, they, representation has to be positive. We has to be we have to be mm. telling good stories about good people who have happy lives. And I mean, I think that that's important. I think that we need those stories, but also I, kind of kind of fuck that. That's not really yes. been my experience. <laughs> yeah, I find it deeply alienating. It's like, really alienating. Yeah, and and one of the things that I, I think, just want to write about weird, horrible freaks. Let yeah. me write about weird, horrible we, freaks. Weird, weird, Haven't horrible I had enough are, in my life? <laughs> weird, horrible freaks who are kind of kind of horrible people in some respects. And I and I think that just just to drag this back to to trans identity and disability, which I think are kind of the places where this is most poignantly for me seated. Um, it's, it is presenting that, what I was talking about, that ambivalence in a way that doesn't apologize for itself and doesn't try to smooth over the edges and says, we're all kind of capital P problematic. And it is very problematic to exist in some of these ways, some of these very transgressive ways of being. And instead of running away from the negative aspects of that form of embodiedness, leaning into it and just presenting the truth of what it's like and not making any apologies or trying to justify anything and just, just telling stories that affirm negative experiences. I think that that's really important and really valuable. Uh, in, an example of this that I read recently that has some body horror components, although I would say it's more of a haunted house story than a body horror story, is uh, Tell Me I'm Worthless by oh. Alison Rumfitt. But she's so good. She's Abs so good. Absolutely fucking loved that book. And one of the reasons why I loved it was that the people in it are terrible. I mean, they're damaged people. They've got reasons why they're kind of terrible people. And you got, deeply sympathize with them. And you feel a lot. She's got such a sharp eye for the specific ways that um, gender and queer and trauma can turn you into a really quite difficult person. Yeah. And she and has utterly uninterested in playing with the idea of the 
in the idea in the idea that there can be such a thing as a good victim utterly uninterested yeah yeah and and i think that my, i mean my own experience of the trans community online has been difficult it's mm. it's a community that i hold very dear that has been very important to me in my own coming to my own understanding of like who i am emotionally mentally physically what kind of body i want to have what kind of body i'm prepared to exist in but also God, these people are difficult to live with sometimes. And I feel alienated from this community a lot of the time. And stories like this that are like, no, like this body can be, living in a different kind of body can be liberating and transformational and wonderful. And also sometimes it can really, really suck. And your damage can make you a difficult, problematic, unpleasant person sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you just have to kind of live with that and figure out how to continue to exist rather than give up. Um, stories like that make, make me come away from them feeling like there's something rich and beautiful about existence. And I genuinely don't find that in any other genre right now. Yeah, sort of an understanding that there, there's two different narratives I find in leftist circles. Um, it's online leftist circles where things become more intense and difficult very quickly. Um, and one is, if you can't be perfect, you should just give up. <laughs> and the other is, we're all fucked up. Let's all just do our fucking best and try to get on with it. Um, <laughs> and I ideologically and emotionally fit much better with the second of those. We're all going to be horrible to each other sometimes. It's part of being a human, and it is especially part of being a traumatized and damaged human the thing to do is to try and uh, is to accept it and move and get on with it and still try to build communities even though they will be flawed um kind of i guess the body horror of community um mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what we've got we have to live within it um no, I, I agree. Actually, I think that's- Watch, well, we get cancelled for that one. Um. Yeah, but it's, it's something that horror does so well. And I think it's one thing I'm really bothered with in a lot of online communities right now is they're very much poo-pooing the idea of horror or dystopia, finding only hope, that kind of thing. And I'm like, but there's there's such a benefit into seeing this sort of thing and seeing yourself in it and reflected back. You know what I mean? It's- it's a very powerful thing for it can be because it's dark, because it goes to bleak places, because it leaves you like it brings up your trauma and leaves you maybe with a few more scars, but it also brings out the beauty in all of it too. Like it's it's a it's an interesting reflection of the world that I think is very powerful. Maybe it drains the infected wound just right. a little bit, and that's yeah. that. But that little bit might help you keep going another few weeks. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, there's one person I know who's actually a Jungian psychologist, I kid you not, um, asked me like, well, why do, why do you like horror? Horror is crap. It's garbage. Why do you like that? And I was like, well, you know, knowing he was a Jungian, I'm like, well, don't you see like a benefit in confronting and embracing your shadow? And he just kind of shut up and turned around. And I was like, <laughs> but that's that's like a big part of what it is. Like, it's it's not, you shouldn't run from such things, you know, it's, it's part of who we are. Um, yeah. And to deny it, I think, makes things worse. I mean, that's how you get fascism. Mm. So to try and deny this negative aspect of yourself and see only the glory and benefit of our like society and everything else. And then you can excuse all number of horrible things 
you know. Um, my experience as well is that the more you repress and ignore the things that are troubling you, the nastier, the nastier you get to people around you yeah. um, and to yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, going back to my, the wound analogy, it'd be like yeah. ignoring an infection. Yeah. Yeah. My therapist also has some confusion about my enjoyment of horror. And eventually I was just like, I felt seen there and it's catharsis. This is an experience. This is a place where I get to feel terrible in a way that's safe. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand what horror is. Like they hear you like horror and they think the Saw movies or they think Halloween, you know, they don't understand that horror is this vast genre where you can I mean, there's just so much. You know, I when I started writing horror, I didn't even tell people that I wrote horror. I told them I was a thriller writer, you know. And I mean, I live in a very conservative southern area, you know. So saying when I finally was like, no, I'm just going to own this. I write horror. It was a visible look that I would get, you know, like a visible (laughs) reaction. Very like, oh, you know, like. Do you write about the devil? Do you write about Ouija boards? Do you, you know, and it's like the horror is, is, is so much more than that. It can be silly. It can be killer clowns from outer space. And then it could be something, you know, really beautiful and dramatic, like, you know, the vegetarian book that I, <laughs> that's like literary, you know, it, there's this whole world. So people don't necessarily understand it. Um, but maybe, maybe as we get, you know, as more different branches of horror become more mainstream, maybe people will maybe not turn their nose up to it as much that's actually why i like enlightened or elevated horror like i know a lot of people are like oh god it's so awful how dare they look down upon horror whatever blah 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 blah. but i'm like but it's showing that there's more than just the saw movies or they're eli it's not just eli roth films and like oh we had a whole conversation about this on blue sky yeah where i sit on that um it's not that it's there's so anything true. wrong with like the Saw movies or anything. Like I love no, I camp like horror. I like Friday night is like camp horror night. Like let me just veg out and watch like an 80s camp movie, like for sure. But I'm a big supporter of irredeemable trash. Um yeah, like it's fun and it's like escapism. I mean, that's also what horror is, right? It's escapism. It's such a big tent. And I I just yeah. think it's if it's bringing more people into horror and showing them it's not just this one thing that they thought, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then once they're here, they can, you know, I'm gonna hang <laughs> and out. then we'll Get expose on. them to the wealth of, of yeah. different Very genres. slowly, very <laughs> slowly, eventually, after <laughs> maybe 10, 20 years or so, we'll get them to watch Mad God. Um, <laughs> well, I think Jordan Peele did a really good job. Like, it, like that's opened a door for a lot of people into horror mm-hmm. that didn't necessarily understand that horror could be something else, you know, when, like, mm-hmm. Get Out and Us came. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people oh, were like, oh, like this is horror you know like now you oh know. horror can have themes yeah you can like have like a commentary about the world we live in and all sorts and like climate change horror now like cli-fi and everything like i think people are starting to see like oh okay you know this yeah. genre can be used in a different way which is exciting which is. Why, i mean it's always been like that oh like, sure for I sure <laughs> I just think now it's like, yeah, you're like you're saying it's now it's noticeable. People are yeah. seeing it. There's a brand around it now, you know, instead of it just being something like that was just horror and these are different aspects of horror. Now it's its own little subgenre. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say I am still a little troubled though by the persistence of this popular notion that body horror is just the violent destruction of the body. Yeah. Um yes. because yeah. I think you know, I'm I'm trying to think of like 
examples of body horror in relatively popular film recently. And although we're definitely in a horror film renaissance right now, there's great independent stuff being made. Jordan Peele obviously has opened the door in a lot of ways to black horror and black horror stories. And I think that that's, there's, there is huge, huge potential for really, really awesome voices to, to, to come forward there. There's just not a lot of, of what I would consider body horror out there though. I mean, the, the last, film that I watched that I would consider solidly in that place was Cronenberg's latest. It was Crimes of the Future, which I just absolutely goddamn loved. And I would love to see more stuff like that. Ooh, but I'll be watching that at the end of the month. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's oh. so horny. And the other Cronenberg too, like his son's best- Infinity Pool. Brandon Cronenberg, again, Infinity Pool is a it's it's and it is body horror a bit, but I there just one of the distinctions I saw a, a, a a critic make was that David Cronenberg is very, very interested in the destruction and violent transformation of the body. Brandon, uh, Brandon Cronenberg is more kind of about the spirit in an interesting way. Oh, that's but, an interesting way. Yeah, 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 because because Infinity Pool is definitely about the disfigurement of this of the spirit and the psyche, and I think that Possessor is very much that kind of that same thing. But yeah, there's just I don't think there's very much body horror really being made right now. And I'm not sure that there ever really was, but it seems to me that there was more of that maybe in the 80s. And I haven't really thought about why that's the case. But it's strange to me that in in a time of horror renaissance, we're not getting as much of this as I would hope to see. I I I have a theory that the AIDS crisis sparked the 80s boom in body horror. Oh, that's an interesting point. Same way as it spiked as it sparked the renaissance the vampire renaissance because the thing could arguably be a bit of uh, an analogy for that metaphor for that i mean i don't think it was intended that but sam j miller then kind of did a sequel to it for clark's world called things with beards yes that that i think was very much playing on the idea of the aids crisis and queerness so well the fly like cronenberg even came out and said his version of the fly was about the aids crisis oh yes right and watching his friends go through that you know and I mean, that must have been really hard to like. And I have to admit, I'm wondering if we're going to see more in the next three years as a lot or as COVID ends up filtering through people's mm-hmm. brains. We had a mass out. disabling event. We're having yeah. a, it's not uh-huh. over. We're having a mass disabling yeah. event. As that filters through people's brains, I think we might see more body horror come out about it. Well, I think there is some, but I, like, I think the, um, the distinction we were talking about before about being transformation versus like the violent effect on the body, I think that confusion is keeping like there's less body horror in what we consider now because there's so many people doing it in the way where it's violence towards the body. Mm. And I don't know why that's become such a thing. Like when I bring it up, people say like, well, same mod is body horror. I'm like, I guess, I mean, sort of at the end, there's kind of a transformation, kind of. You know what movie I loved was the Titan movie? You know, that's body horror. And that was beautiful and sad and weird. And yeah. one that lives rent-free in my brain for all eternity. How is that spelled? Uh, T-I-T-A-N-E. I might have said it wrong. In my oh, mind, it's Titan. I've, <laughs> no, I've, I've just remembered the title of the film that was kind of bad, but that's but that was solidly body horror that I watched today. Um, it's called Perpetrator. It's on UK hmm. Shudder. I don't know if it's on US Shudder as well. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Um, it's, it, but... 
some very good ideas, but extremely incoherent execution. Um, but it is a very solidly body horror in the transformation sense and body horror transformation in terms of a reaction to a hostile world. Mm. Um, it's a young woman starts experiencing strange things, moves to a new town where girls are going missing and her strange transformation essentially gives her the power to stand against this. Like I say, I don't rate the film very highly. I gave it like a two on Letterboxd. Um, <laughs> but I see what it was going for. And I do think that it's an example of transform body horror as transformation. And in her case, and in the case of this film, as positive transformation. Mm -hmm. That becoming monstrous gives this girl power, gives this girl the ability to fight back gives this girl the ability to protect others. Hmm. <laughs> like I say, it's not a good film, but <laughs> <laughs> well, Titan's a really good film. You should watch that one. That's a really good body horror transformation, weird movie that if you haven't seen. Or um, another one that I watched was Malignant, which I think maybe oh, some people might or might not like consider that. body horror, but that I one think so. I, I think loved. So 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 much like people were talking about it so much and thankfully nobody did any spoilers and you just go oh, into no. it like it blind. is a completely unhinged out. completely yeah. unhinged experience it. yes. but, so but it's much. a disability movie mm, it, it is, is. A disability yeah movie. It like is. the body horror disability oh god that movie is so wonderful I mean, talk about talk about something that you know some people might consider extremely problematic representation. Oh, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's but but yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 somehow it was. I, I think I think it was actually a really. As, as speaking as somebody who has a very hard time trusting their own mind sometimes because of my fun little constellation of mental illnesses, it it made me feel like it was sort of an interesting mix of body and psychological horror yeah. because. There was the horror that has to do with the fact that you don't actually understand what's going on with your own body. Your own body is unrecognizable and monstrous and uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. Because I, th I think lack of control and discipline, to get kind of Foucauldian for a second, is a, a really important component of body horror, the lack of a disciplined body. But also there was the psychological element of I cannot trust what my own mind is telling me. And I just don't know that I've seen too many other films try to bring those things together in quite that no, way. No, and, and I think it's interesting, too, because it's at, at the first half of the film, you think it's psychological horror. Mm -hmm. And then it turns into body horror. And and for me, I don't know if it's a bad representation, because when you look at from the point of view of her brother, um, you can see why he acts the way he is, because he's told he was a cancer, that he had to be removed, that he was this horrible thing, you know? And... I think like you can see from his point of view, like why he would act the way he did, even though oh, it's yeah. terrible. It's it's so under, like you understand where he's coming from and stuff. And one of the things I love, I showed my son that because he was into the Conjuring films. I'm like, oh, what do you see this? It's done by the same director. And so he's about halfway through, he's like thinking it's just another like, you know, like, oh, it's the devil. Oh, it's like, you know, oh, it's going to be a possession stuff. movie, you know, it's yeah. and then it's just like, <laughs> oh, wow, you've just gone completely off the rails oh, here. No, okay. Oh, no, but it did like the whole weird like ninja assassin thing. Oh, <laughs> like, brilliant. We're just so like, this is amazing. Guy. I'm like, hell yeah, it is. Yeah, it really was. It's so bananas. It's one of those things where I can't objectively call it a 
good movie, <laughs> but I don't think good or bad are metrics that apply in this case. Oh. It's certainly a very good time. I certainly enjoyed it. was entertaining for a Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely entertaining for sure. It's a ride. <laughs> oh, um, I was, I had something. I was thinking something. Sorry, my brain. Um, another body what? horror movie that like deeply disturbed me was Tusk, which oh, I, I can't watch, watch again. I still haven't seen that either. Oh, really? It's, you know, it might not be very disturbing nowadays, maybe, but when I saw it, boy, did it unsettle me to a startling point <laughs> one, i don't think i could ever watch it again one i'm never going to watch again is in my skin it's a french film um which is an ex which spends a significant amount i don't want to spoil it because really you do need to watch it for the experience um but throughout the last about third of the film i was just watching there physically cringing saying to myself no 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 i don't like it no i don't like it <laughs> um but that one's using body horror um to talk about the experience of alienation from the body from uh, about dissociation about the experience of being coded female in a world that frequently treats a female coded body as a tool or an ornament or something other than a physical place a person lives mm -hmm. um and how that in this woman's case creates an intense sense of alienation from her own body to the point she no longer feels injury that is happening to it um and i again i don't want to go too far into it but it is an extremely effective take on it and something and something that I really appreciated about the body horror in that is that it is presented in such an intimate way. You are intimately close with it. Um the sound the sounds are very wet and fleshy and close mm. to your ears. You're getting extreme close-ups of the body itself, of the skin, of wounds, of injuries. You are right in the physical reality of the body mm. which makes it almost erotic in a deeply uncomfortable way um and i think that's a really good that's something that body horror can be very good at about really really understanding and coming to intimate and comfortable closeness with the with the body rather than the polished Hollywood airbrushed body as perfect image. Here is the body as thing that hurts, thing that bleeds, thing that eats and defecates and lives, you know? <laughs> just, just looking, I just looked it up real quick because I was very intrigued by the title, just skimming over the premise on uh, this one Reddit post that I found. I think I need to see this because something I haven't mentioned that is another very personal entry into body horror for me is that I have um, an OCD related disorder called dermatillomania, mm. uh, which is essentially it's, it's compulsive skin picking. 
it may trigger that. Uh, that's not so, well. Let me let me let me keep going here because oh, I'm sorry. going somewhere with this. <laughs> um, one of the I, I've had this ever since I started uh, manifesting OCD symptoms as a kid. Um, it it has gotten fairly severe. I have a lot of scars from it. And there is a, without getting too into too gross detail, there is a consumptive element. There's a consumption element to it. Mm -hmm. And as I've um, kind of, you know, progressed through my life as somebody with OCD, trying to figure out what is my relationship with these symptoms going to be? How do I manage them? What's accept What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? I have arrived at a relationship with this particular disorder where it's I've, I've almost made a kind of peace with it because I no longer regard it as an entirely negative thing, because the thing about my experience of it is that it's actually quite pleasurable and soothing. Yeah. So rather than regard it as something bad that can be triggered or that is upsetting, I actually have made found ways to make some space for it in mm. my life. And I'm not sure that that's something that is going to be the case forever. And I also, you know, own that that is a somewhat problematic place to be because that, you know, it's self-harm, uh, which means it's, you know, you're opening up your body for infection, but by the same token, you're not, I'm not, I'm, there's no cure for this. I'm never going to be rid of it. So learning to live with it has been kind of an interesting journey. And that transformation is an important element of body horror for me, but destruction is too. And mm -hmm. what dermatillomania is, is fundamentally destruction. So the idea that there is something about it that can be soothing and pleasurable is, I mean, I, I understand it because I live it, but I think that m people who don't live with it would probably find it very difficult to understand and the book draft that I just finished that is definitely in the kind of transformative ecstatic sexual body horror place explicitly has a character with dermatillomania because I never see that anywhere I never see it talked about I never see characters who have it and that experience of compulsively destroying your body in a way that also feels good was something that I wanted to explore as I was exploring this other thing that involves fungus living in people's skin and brains but yeah it, it's it, it, that just it just made me think of that as something i don't hear i don't know anybody else with dermatillomania who writes horror so um if anybody's out there hit me up i'm on blue sky <laughs> i've had my own history with self-harm and so i do i do understand on some levels about what you're saying there that some for a while there was a space where there was an almost a satisfaction in it for me mm. um and that's something like you i i put that into something i'm working on at the moment my my novel is a very very dark fantasy a borderline horror fantasy i would say and the main character in that self-harms in ways that are more serious than I used to self-harm but he has he can heal extremely fast almost instantly and I wanted to really sort of delve into the horror elements of that because when people think about uh people think about super healing or a healing factor as it's done in superhero comics they think about how good that is how amazing it would be to just 
be able to shrug off a shrug off a gut wound or whatever <laughs> but i think about it in terms of you're being denied the evidence of your own suffering hmm. yeah. it's gone away instantly without even a scar you are den denied the proof that you have experienced this horrible thing right. and that to me is a kind of body horror the healing with no scarring healing with no evidence that you have healed healing with no there being no proof that you have been hurt right, no physical proof trauma. of no physical proof of your trauma which is interesting that kind of opens up like a whole can of worms like you're saying like i was thinking you know like to play a kind of devil's advocate it's like well why do you need the scar you know um like if you had a character who healed very quickly what why do you need the scar why why is that so important to be able to have that visual representation that physical representation of what you've been through um yeah. that's, that's just you just kind of like opened my mind up a little bit <laughs> i'm just yeah, meditating um... on that process of like the pros and cons of like having a physical representation you know um or how for people me see some of the things i've been through which were almost entirely emotional mm -hmm. trauma I spent I got tattoos about them because I felt like I should have some kind of scar they had hurt me so badly I felt like I should have a scar mm. so I got a tattoo about it instead mm -hmm. mm. With, that's, with, just that's very interesting well uh with with me too like a lot of multiple sclerosis um disabilities aren't visible yeah and so people yeah. they yeah. don't see it they don't understand it. They think you're making it up. It's not real, blah, 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 blah. I, I know friends of mine that are on disability. And in the, in the US, it's very hard to get on disability. And it's extremely difficult. And I hear people say like, oh, they're not really disabled. Just look at them. You know, they're just doing it for the money and stuff. I'm thinking, right. what you know, money? People do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What money? It's like, you have to be poor to be on dis You know, you're not allowed to get money. Basically. Yeah, there's a it's, limit it, to how much you can make. Right. It's, it, like, it's, it's tricky in the UK thing. too. I ha I I get like three hundred pounds a month. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 awful. It's like it's like they want to force you in poverty because you're disabled, you know? Yeah. And it's and I just hear people say stuff like that. I'm like, you know, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I mean that brings it back to the idea of like the scars needing to be there, you know, so people can see it, you know. Ooh. So and that's not me saying I would rather have an obviously physical disability or right, thinking no, that I mean, that's an yeah, easier yeah. way to live. Right, right. It's just something that my brain, which is kind of broken in some very specific ways, <laughs> did to me, which is just like, this hurts so much. Where is the scar? Where is the proof that this has hurt me so right. much? Right. That's what um, I mean. you, people, you, you think that it needs to be seen. You know what hmm. I mean? Because like without having a visible a thing there it's it's only visible inside you know other people it's like it's not noticeable it's not a i don't know what i'm trying to say there with it but i think there's like a similarity between like that and the people who don't have visible disabilities and not being seen you know what i mean yeah that no that makes perfect sense that makes yeah. perfect sense yeah that that's a very interesting idea to explore in a character i could see that being taken in a lot of different ways because there's also benefits to not having a scar for the very yeah. like you could blend in better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so I could see that being a very interesting story. That, that was just, that just 
put my brain in like <laughs> it just kind of blew my mind for a second there while I just well, this like draft is, what you were saying <laughs> this draft is about 80k in and it's the draft that's going out to the beta readers so anytime between in the next seven years because <laughs> <laughs> publishing is fast <laughs> Nico I'll I'm, look I'm, forward to it <laughs> I'm Nico I'm really interested in what you said about blending in because I mean this is actually kind of bringing me back to the idea of body horror and trans identity being very intimately intertwined potentially because passing versus not exactly. passing yeah. is yeah. always something that's like very fraught component of the trans experience sure. and Paul you were you know you're talking about like visible versus invisible disabilities if you have a very visible disability nobody can deny that but then you're excluded by how from from a lot of other yeah, people's society yeah. by how visible it is. Yeah, so true. it's really like you're in kind of a, you're in a catch twenty two there. Yeah. And um, again, like leaning leaning into the horrific but also positive elements of a body that is transforming and undisciplined and unpredictable and queer in the sense of being outside the norm. Like that's that is strike for me it is it is striking back against that kind of alienation by making it explicit and yeah. by inhabiting it fully and embracing it and embracing the ways in which it it alienates you because i think that one of the you know one of the really positive things about the trans community and particularly the online trans community for those of us who are who 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 you know have to be inside a lot of the time who don't have <laughs> much opportunity to be in physical community with other people on online is really really important mm -hmm. but ha having forming a community of monsters who own monstrousness i think that there is something really valuable about that i'm thinking about nightbreed here the lesser known the lesser known clive barker but actually my favorite so good from the original from the original um novella i believe it was and the film which is mm. pretty obviously a gay allegory mm. but i also read very much as a trans allegory although there's much less difference between the groups than people like to think there's separation is in our enemy's interest not our own um True. it's very much a i am living safely and privately in my community but within this community i am embracing what the world outside believes i'm monstrous but as soon as people find out that we are monstrous here they will try to destroy us yeah. um that tension between the safety of being openly yourself around people who are like yourself but also that the more open you are the more danger you're in yeah I think that that's really I mean that's where my thought process went to with this with the scars was safety physical safety especially you know when you're surrounded maybe in a in a red area in a very conservative area you know mm -hmm. you have to sort of be very aware of the physical safety of it and that's why it's such a complex complex issue so that's kind of where I was thinking of when you had said you had, you know the character with the healing I was like mm. well you could you could pass as you know somebody who is like everyone in a, like a conservative area and physically safe but of course you know like you were saying you know you're not yourself and that obviously leads to all sorts of other things so yeah it's just it's interesting interesting to think about mm. yeah <laughs> and uh well not to talk up a novel that may never be published, but um, <laughs> it's uh, 
I'm enjoying writing it. That's the main thing, I guess. Um, <laughs> you, might, you might get an interest after somebody hears this podcast. Yeah, we, we might see. If you're an editor or an agent, like I say, I've got 80K of this final draft go hit, got ready to go. Hit me up. Um, the, the other thing about it is I'm sort of turning that um, beauty as goodness and ugliness as evil on its head because the inability to the the ability to heal maintains the main character's physical beauty throughout the time throughout the whole process of the novel as his actions get more and more monstrous as his behavior mm. becomes worse and worse due to partly due to the great emotional and physical suffering he's experiencing but also partly because he's just kind of a terrible person um, <laughs> I mean, he gets a bit better, I guess. But, you know, I just like, I want to, I was just like, I want to write the worst trans man I can imagine. And then I went and did it. Um... Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. But like beauty itself as a kind of horror that is enforced yeah. upon him and as something he doesn't really want because of the way it makes people treat him. I don't know. That, it just. That is, that is the one thing I actually really liked about the movie Hellraiser. Is that the um, the Cenobites are beautiful, at least at least the way I see them. You know, most of, well. I mean, obviously yeah. the chattering guy, but like the rest of them, they, they have this kind of like almost angelic beauty to them, and I and I find that way more interesting than like monsters in movies that are just horrific things and like they're made to look ugly. You know, that's the only thing like 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 uh, spirit Halloween masks. You know, like look how ugly. They are. <laughs> mm. I mean, that's one of the things everyone was talking about the movie Barbarian. And how great it is and i watched it and then it gets to the part where it reveals the monstrous thing and it's just they just made it look ugly and dirty and gross i'm like that's it's not scary that's it seemed a bit lazy creepy. i really liked that movie yeah i agree i kind of it kind of lost me a bit at that point yeah yeah i'm like there's so much more interesting stuff they could have done with it and i think yeah, lazy I, is a perfect word like i think we're to the point where we can move past what we all like stereotypically would define as ugly you know yeah, we can do better. like we can we exactly like we don't need to have like man every time i see a fat villain it boils my blood i'm like why is that character fat what why why no reason other than the fact that they're the villain like we can do better than that and it's the same with like we were saying before about the face and everything like we can do better we don't need to do this anymore yeah, i just want to Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was say, the one thing I didn't like about Devil's Candy, which is a great movie, but the villain was very much a very larger, heavy set man who was also slow. So I mean, that I, you know, there's some stuff there. I just, but I mean, as as a as a thriller, it's it's a very intense thriller. But like, there's some problems I had with it, like for that reason. I, I I think sorry to keep dragging this back to eroticism, but that's just kind of where my <laughs> brain is at right now. I, I think I think the notion of physical beauty is really an interesting one because the for for me body horror the idea of a body in body horror is kind of like what i was talking about queer as intrinsically opposed to the norm mm. physical beauty versus ugliness is so much a part of that we tend to associate beauty with the norm and anything outside of that that is monstrous that is unpredictable that is undisciplined tends to be ugly and one of the things that I really like about directors like Cronenberg that I really uh, also really like about Hellraiser is that for me, it is 
inviting you to expand your notion of what might of, of what might be beautiful what might mm -hmm. be aesthetically pleasing right. not just beautiful in the sense of you know every every living person you know deserves to be desirable and deserves to be considered lovable and deserves to be have pleasure in their embodiedness also let's be a little more creative with our aesthetic you know Let's 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 expand our and ma and make more exciting and less predictable and less boring and lazy our ideas of what might be beautiful and yeah. I am very into the idea of the human body almost as a kind of a canvas or a, a something that you can use as artistic material. Um, it's I'm I also have like a lot of really deep feelings about scars. I value my scars. I'm glad that I have my scars. I would be sad if I didn't and. So body modification for me is sort of a bit of a, a bit of a, a thing I play with mentally in this space too, I think. Yeah. Well, when I wrote Glass House, and like I said, I was pulling up like uh, for their, their um, three supernatural entities, they don't ex ex actually haunt the house, they're more like kind of trapped there, um, that are based on the poem Suspiria de Profundis, which also inspired Suspiria, um, the mm -hmm. three mothers of sorrow. And I wanted them to look beautifully hauntingly horrific you know what i mean um and yeah there's like scars i mean uh because the the mother there's like the mother of tears the mother of sighs and the mother of darkness and the mother of tears and the mother of sighs they kind of like both missing like the same eye on the other side of the face when they stand together like they kind of match like they have spiral scars across their body i think the mother of sighs actually instead of her rib cage is opened up and there's a crow inside of there instead of a heart things like that. Oh, I and love I that. that yeah. Absolutely beautiful. And I wanted to just play with that in there because they're like, they're horrifying, but they're not evil per se. Mm -hmm. They they want, they feed on the sorrow of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so that's what makes them appear to be evil to other people. But that's just how they, that's what they are, you know? And they're, it's not like they're at their non-existence would mean that we never had sorrow <laughs> right actually that's proved in the book because they're trapped in this house because a bunch of hippies are like well let's get rid of the sorrow of the world then there'll be no more war and that didn't solve anything because like yeah because i think i wrote this and like i actually said and then like the 2020s happened and proved that wrong so hmm. you know but i mean that, that was like the whole thing was like you know there of course there wasn't any sorrow in fact it made it worse because there wasn't something feeding on it you know that was kind of siphoning it so that it wasn't building up and overflowing into being horrible. So it's just a real interesting, I, I had fun writing those, those bits uh, with those things, but I wanted them to be beautifully horrific, you know, yeah. in a way that like spoke to me. Yeah. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> Sudden silence. Um, uh, actually, yeah, I was just trying to remember. Um, I was going to bring it back to um, ugliness and fatness as as horror tropes and body horror tropes, and how it was one of my problems with the otherwise excellent uh, when evil looks. Um, how what is an extremely good possession film is let down by the reliance on extremely exaggerated fatness in some of the possessed people. 
Mm. Um, I think they're more trying to lean on the concept of a bloated corpse than on fatness itself. Mm. But the limits of their uh, mostly very good special effects and makeup still mean that the effect is an extremely fat fat person who is presented as grotesque, who is kept to their bed. Hmm. as a source of horror and that's something that's something i do think is a little lazy and it's something that's relied on as a source of horror just to dehumanize fat people and to make fat people less worthy of respect and decency and kindness you know you think of things like those shows like my 300 pound life and things like that where Hmm. it's just like here is a person whose body is at a an extreme of what the human body can do let's make a freak show out of it for the enjoyment of millions and i don't like when horror relies on that and i find it relies on that very much i find it cheap um (laughs) i find it cheap if you want to read fat positive horror, if I may put a plug in, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Me and Sonora Taylor edited Diet Riot, a fatter punk anthology. We put it out, uh, I think it was a year ago. Um, but it's fat positive horror, sci-fi, and fantasy stories because right. we were sick of this fat horror villain narrative and when we were looking for examples of positive fat representation in horror when we were kind of going on the podcast circuit to like promote this we just legitimately could not find any there aren't any we maybe found like manhunt maybe has like has some but like that was a newer one like a newer book but when we were looking back we just legitimately could not find anything um opens the pill Yeah, those two. Are, yeah, Gretchen Falcon Martin's work and that are the main ones I can think of. Yeah. Um, and Gretchen Falcon Martin makes an effort to do so. She said publicly because she herself is fat yeah. and she wants to see um fat women and fat trans women in things where their fatness and their transness is not the source of the horror. Um, yeah. <laughs> perhaps the horror is the way that those fat trans bodies are treated by the people. Or maybe around they're just them. existing. Like all of my stories now have fat protagonists and they just exist i just put like a couple sentences in about them loving their fat bodies and then we move on because i'm, I, just, I'm so over i like so to, over this representation that fat people are lazy or villainous and horror i like to regularly describe people describe people in uh longer especially in longer works even if it's just side characters even if it's a passing note as fat as handsome and very fat or yeah. you know <laughs> that's a good way to do it like yeah and then we move on with our lives <laughs> and then we move on with our lives it's just a yes this person is very ha- fat they're also quite very hot what yes. are you going to do about it exactly. um but yeah because is... body horror is definitely something that you see a lot of like and it's enough enough we can do better lazy is a great way to I'd say it we can do better i think this is this is um the word that comes to me when i think about this is spectacle Mm, yes and i think i think that there's there's a very interesting line to walk here because and i think that it's i don't think that i think that we should as as horror writers i think we should feel free to go into some difficult and uncomfortable and even off-putting places Mm -hmm. by the same token something i really try to do in my own stuff is at least be sensitive to the potentially raw places i'm walking through Mm -hmm. so that if i hurt somebody I know that I've done it. I just don't want to do anything by accident. And I think that 
for lack of a better term, gaze is sort of something that comes into play here because a, a body that is rendered monstrous or uncontrollable, I think at least on screen, there's always going to be an element of spectacle there because you're presenting it visually in a very specific mm. way, in a way that's supposed to excite emotion, whatever that emotion might be. But by the same token, one of the ways in which historically fat bodies have been rendered intrinsically monstrous and ugly and off-putting is that the fatness itself has been made the source of spectacle. Right. Yeah. So, right. yeah, I think, you know, if you don't want to be lazy, then I think you have to be very, very careful about how you do that, how, yeah. how, you, how you depict different kinds of marginalized bodies in a setting where bodies are rendered horrific. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do that well, especially if you're, God forbid, trying to do something outside of your own experience. And the fact that it's hard is, I think, one of the reasons why we just don't see it very much. Because mm -hmm. people, and I'm guilty of this, as I think you know, a lot of other creators probably are, it's very easy to slip into laziness sometimes, especially if you're you don't have a ton of bandwidth <laughs> and yeah. you're you it's there have been times in my stories where I've just been sort of like oh screw it I'm just gonna whatever I'm gonna hand wave this and I hope nobody notices and I don't think I've ever done it hopefully in a way that's been harmful but I do think that one of the reasons why we see it is because it's lazy and I think that as marginalized people, as horror lovers, I think that we're right to demand more of our creators and to demand more of ourselves. I think a lot of people don't spend a lot of time thinking about why they have the horror or disgust reaction that they do. Yes. Yeah, yes. for sure. For yes. sure. Whereas I think it probably makes you a better writer, a better creator to spend some time unpacking that. Because at least then, if you do choose to do it, you're doing it knowingly. Right. And there's a difference there, I think. Yes. If, you're, if you're knowingly going, this aspects of this thing cause me intense horror and disgust. I know why that does. And now I can really delve into that subject with this presentation, with this representation, with this take. It's significantly different to just, ha-ha, look at this freak. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know about anyone else, but I actually hold higher a horror to a higher standard when it comes to that sort of thing. I demand more from it than I think any other genre for that reason. Mm. Because, you know, it needs, it's so easy for horror to just go into the lazy route, especially with film. I, I don't think, I don't think with short stories and books, it's quite as common, at least with what gets published and what's out there. But with film, it, it just goes to laziness so quickly. It's. I think probably because you've only got you know, ninety to, ninety to one hundred and twenty minutes runtime, mm. and often, and so often you default to what you know to your comfort zone in order to get mm. the effect you're wanting. Yeah. But I understand that, and I don't necessarily like. I don't think it's an unforgivable sin. I think there are very few unforgivable sins, actually, but um, especially in creativity. Um, I don't think, but it does bother me when it happens. Yes. Okay. Well, I think actually this is probably a good time to start winding it down because I think we've been at it for about an hour now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this was a wonderful conversation. Yeah, we went to a lot of really interesting places. It actually, exceeded my uh, my expectations. So that was awesome. 
Um, I also been if you have been hearing me typing, I actually been keeping track of every single thing we mentioned, like movies. <laughs> oh boy! So, <laughs> oh nice. Just so I can put it in the liner notes. Excellent. Because um, I like doing that. Because I personally, when I listen to podcasts, I like going through the liner notes and finding all the cool stuff. So great for reckless. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, thank you all for being on. Uh, this was wonderful, and I'll I'll likely ask you to come back at a different point to talk about other stuff because this is great. Absolutely yeah, anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully, yeah, I'll stammer so a little less next time. <laughs> yeah, um, fine. We all stammer a little. <laughs> right. Good night, everyone. Bye. Follow me on Blue Sky. Gay cannibalism. Yes. Yeah. I'm, dyna- I'm dynamic symmetry on Blue Sky. Yeah. I'm just nice. legal bell fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Bye. Good night. Good night, everyone. <laughs>